0: I don't know if you need this right now, or if you'll need it tomorrow, or if you'll need it in two months, but I do know that the time will come, and you will need this truth. It may be today, it may be tomorrow, it may be some random Tuesday later this year, but you will need what Mark is trying to tell us in his gospel this morning. And what we'll see today, as a desperate father tries to save his son, from being lit on fire by the devil, is this. Embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. It may be today. It may be tomorrow. It may be some random Tuesday later this year. But at some point, you will need to do this one thing. Embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. And I have a hunch that you're probably going to need this reminder every day of your life until Jesus comes back. Just a hunch. And the good news of the gospel is that when we embrace our helplessness and run to Jesus, he welcomes us with open arms. All we have to do is admit our need. So look at Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14, and hear the word of the Lord. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So Peter James and John with Jesus come down from the mountain that we saw last week where Jesus was transfigured before them. And when they get to where they left the rest of the disciples, they step into a big pile of drama. And it's no surprise to see that the scribes and the religious leaders are there causing all of this drama. Religious people are always causing drama, aren't they? The scribes have been squabbling with the disciples and everybody has their iPhone out and they're recording it. And so this is what Jesus returns to. And when he shows up, the crowd recognizes him and they all take off running with their iPhones to see Jesus. Jesus shows up and he wants to know what all the ruckus is about. So he asks them, what are you arguing about? And a man in the crowd answers Jesus. Now, we don't get all the details here. But based on the man's reply to Jesus, it appears that an argument has broken out between the disciples and the scribes and the religious leaders about and concerning this demon-possessed son. Perhaps the scribes are asking why the disciples can't make the demon leave this boy. Now, recall what we saw earlier in Mark's gospel back in chapter 6. Jesus did send the disciples out. He gave them authority and power to cast out demons, and they did just that. So maybe the scribes now are kind of rubbing it in the disciples' faces, saying something like, what's the matter? Can't you do anything for this boy? Where's this power that you used to have to cast out demons? Why can't you put your money where your mouth is, huh? Perhaps that's what was happening. So when Jesus asks what they're arguing about, this man answers Jesus by saying, Rabbi, I have only one kid, my son. And he has this demon that makes him mute. And he foams at the mouth, and the demon throws him on the ground, and it makes him flop around, and then he becomes stiff as a board. And sometimes the demon tries to light him on fire or drown him in the river. So I heard about you and your disciples, and I asked them to help me out, but they couldn't do anything. Now, let me pause here. I just wrote this in the the side of my manuscript this morning. I wasn't going to say anything, but I thought I need to, because the church, if you will, has let this man down. The church has let this man down. That happens. You probably have been hurt or damaged or let down by the church at some point in your life. And that happens because we're sinners. If the church, some church out there, has hurt you in any way, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have experienced that pain. Go to Jesus like this man does and just pour your heart out. Or if we, any of the leadership here at Grace, the elders or the pastors or deacons or the staff, if any of us have hurt you, I'm sorry. Pour your heart out to Jesus and come talk to us and let us know and let us make that right to the best of our ability. And if I have hurt you in any way, if I have wronged you, I'm sorry. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. Tell me what an idiot I've been and how I hurt you. And let's make that right. Let's create that kind of church culture here where we can go to one another and say, you offended me. And let's listen to one another and confess our sins. That's what they needed here. I think the church in general has uh, let the, the church, if you will, the disciples, the people of God here, have let this man down. Now, they couldn't do anything for him. So how does Jesus reply? He says, "Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Now, that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? This poor dad just wants to get this uh, a demon out of his son. Just wants to get his kid off of the barbecue grill because he keeps laying down on top of it. And Jesus responds this way and says, faithless generation. But I don't think Jesus is addressing the father here. I think he's speaking to the crowd, which includes the disciples and the scribes and the religious leaders. And so what does Jesus mean when he says this? Why does he address the disciples in the crowd and call them a faithless generation? I think Jesus is simply referring to the fact that this generation, the people who were eyewitnesses to him and his ministry, they weren't connecting the dots like they were supposed to. Remember back in Mark chapter 8, Jesus expressed his frustration with this generation? Two times he refers to them. Because they were always wanting a sign, even though Jesus was standing right before them. And later in chapter 13 of Mark, Jesus will declare that the destruction of the temple that would eventually happen in A.D. 70 when Titus and his Roman army came and leveled Jerusalem, Jesus said that that event that he talks about in Mark 13 would happen in this generation for those people. So Jesus's point here is that this generation, the people who are, who are seeing him do these miracles, they had a front row seat to see the Messiah at work And they weren't connecting the dots. And they weren't placing their faith in Jesus. But in spite of the fact that people in general were not responding to Jesus, he still has compassion on this man. And he tells him, bring your boy to me. And when they bring the boy to Jesus, the demon starts making the boy have convulsions. And he starts foaming at the mouth. And Jesus then asks the dad, how long has this been going on? And the man says, his boy has been suffering like this since he was a little boy. And then the dad tells Jesus that the demon makes his boy fall into fires. And it often tries to drown him. And then the conversation goes like this. The dad says, but if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And the dad says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, some people take Jesus' reply of, if you can, this way. They think Jesus is saying it like this, if you can... If you can, you, you're talking to me. If you can, do you know who you're talking to? If you can, of course I can. Some people take Jesus' words this way If you can believe, sir, all things are possible. If you can believe, and I take it the second way, I think Jesus is saying, If you are able to believe, all things are possible. If you would trust in me, you would see that there's no limit to what I can do. If you can believe my words, believe my promises, all things are possible. If you have faith, despite all the visible evidence to the contrary, if you have faith based on all the spiritual evidence of who I say I am, all things are possible. And that's why the dad replies the way he does and says, I believe, help my unbelief. The dad is saying, I believe, I believe you, Jesus. I believe your words, I believe your promises, I believe you are who you say you are, but I'm struggling here. Help me, Jesus. Help my unbelief. The dad is a picture of us. This is how we often live. Now, we absolutely believe in Jesus, don't we? If you're a Christian, you absolutely believe in Jesus, We absolutely believe that his words are true. We absolutely believe that the Bible is true. We totally believe his promises. We believe they're secure. We can trust them. But yet we still struggle to believe, don't we? Because we're sinners. So the dad is just being honest here. This is honest faith. And honest faith admits that there's still a struggle. And Jesus is okay with this. I love that about Jesus. He's okay with that. Jesus likes honesty. Jesus can handle you telling him that you're struggling. Jesus can handle you telling him exactly what you're feeling, exactly what you're thinking. P.S., he already knows. You're not going to surprise Jesus by being honest with him. He already knows knows what's going on in your mind. He already knows what's going on in your heart. Jesus is okay with us honestly confessing that we're struggling to believe him and struggling to believe his word and struggling to believe his promises. And I think that's how faith comes. It's when we get honest with the real Jesus, the Jesus in the Bible, when we get honest with Jesus, when we get honest about our fears, that's when faith comes. When we get honest with the real Jesus and all the promises that are backing him up, that are behind him. When we get honest with the real Jesus about our real struggles, that's when faith comes. When we can get honest about everything going on inside of our hearts. Jesus can work with that. All things are possible when we get real with the real Jesus. And he'll have it no other way. Jesus can do some incredible over the top out of this world things in your life, but you have to be honest with him. You got to keep it real with him. So faith is simply turning to Jesus honestly with all of your need. Faith is turning to Jesus with all of your mess and all of your baggage and all of your jealousy and all of your hatred and all of your bitterness and all of your family drama. And all of your questions and saying to him, I don't know how you can pick up the pieces and make something of this, but I believe that you can. I just don't know how you'll do it, but I totally believe that you can because you are good, Jesus, and you are kind, and you are merciful, and you are gracious. So please help. Faith is you with all of your weakness and all of your need, turning to Jesus with all of his self-sufficiency. Faith is your desperate need, turning to Jesus, the most merciful person in the universe. And that's the dad here. He takes his need and he turns to Jesus. He believes that Jesus can help. He just doesn't know how Jesus will help. But he believes that he can. So the dad is honest. I totally believe that you can, Jesus. That's why I brought my son to you. Your disciples, they couldn't do anything. But you, I believe you can. Just help my unbelief because it's kind of suffocating. Help. If the dad were to appear on Dr. Phil, and I don't know if Dr. Phil is still a show or not, but if he were to appear on Dr. Phil uh, and Dr. Phil asked him, what advice would you give any parents out there who are struggling? What advice would you give to anyone watching when they find themselves in a heartbreaking situation? I think the dad would look in the camera and say, embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. That's it. Whatever you are facing, the answer is to embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. So are demons trying to barbecue you? Are they trying to drown you in a river like this little boy? Embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. Are you facing heartbreaking family issues? Embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. Are you overwhelmed with life? You're so stressed out. You can't eat. You can't sleep. Embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. Are you overwhelmed with the kids being out of school for the summer and everybody's fighting in your house? None of you are dealing with that, are you? I almost lost my mind yesterday, literally. Okay? Yeah, I'm gonna embrace my helplessness here, Lord, and run to you. Because everybody's fighting. Whatever it is that we face, whatever situation a church faces, whatever situation disciples face, the answer. Though uncomfortable and though hard to admit, it's to embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. What did Jesus say in John 16, 7? He said that he would send the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper. I love that. The helper. It's like if he showed up with a card. And said, and, and said, who are you? Here's his business card, the helper. That means that the Holy Spirit actually likes to help us. He likes his job. It's what he does best. What, what does a chef do best? He cooks. What does a cop do best? To serve and protect the Holy Spirit, the helper. What does he do best? He helps. He helps us. So all you have to do is say, help. That's prayer. That's Faith, just saying, help, as Oli Halesby says. Note here what prayer is. To pray to Jesus is to tell, tell Jesus what we lack. I think we can all see how different our prayer life would be if we would only learn this aspect of the holy art of prayer. To most of us, prayer is burdensome because we have not learned that prayer consists in telling Jesus what we or others lack. We do not think that that is enough. Instinctively, we feel that to pray cannot be so easy as all that. For that reason, we rise from prayer many time with, times with heavy hearts. All this has changed when we learn to know Him so well that we feel safe when we have left our difficulties with Him. For all of us here, whether you've been a Christian for four months or 40 years, what we all desperately need to learn and to relearn is this to be helpless. That's the lesson that this poor father is teaching us. Learn to be helpless. Learn to be desperate. Learn to be dependent. Little children are good at this, though, aren't they? It's all they know, and they're they're just comfortable with it. Adults, on the other hand, we hate helplessness. Adults are allergic to helplessness. We don't want to be helpless. We don't want to be dependent. We don't want to be desperate. We like to plan, don't we? We like to organize. And we think that we got this. We're allergic to helplessness. But little children, it's all they know. If they had a business card, they would hand it to you and say, helpless. That's what it would say. And they're good at it. Children are so good at being helpless. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't faze them. They don't stress out about it. They don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, I'm so dependent on my parents to feed me today. Oh, I hate this helplessness. They don't do that. It's no big deal for a child to feel helpless. Thank you for your children. They just ask for help. They just ask for help because they know their reputation is not riding on it. They need help, so they just ask. And that's the father here. He was helpless, completely helpless. His little boy would just be walking down the street on a Thursday night at the farmer's market, and someone would have a barbecue pit going, cooking up some tri-tip, and the demon inside the boy would throw him into the fire. This poor kid had George Foreman grill marks across his foot. And when the boy went to the ravine water park and went down one of the slides, the demon would try to hold him underwater. So the father here is absolutely helpless. Their pediatrician had no idea what to do with this boy. So imagine the conversation with their doctor. The doctor says, so let me get this straight. Johnny will just be walking along and all of a sudden, something just makes him lay down on a hot barbecue grill? And when he goes down the water slide, uh, sometimes he just can't come up for air, like some force is holding him down. Hmm, perhaps his growing pains? I have no idea. You said he's 15 years old, right? Well, teenagers do do weird things, you know. This poor dad was helpless. In fact, if you notice, the dad is the only one in this passage who acknowledges his weakness. He's the only one who admits that he can't do anything on his own. The disciples apparently try to perform an exorcism without praying first. And we know the religious leaders do not see their need of Jesus. So it's just the dad here who admits his need. Only he admits his weakness. And if we're willing to let God's word be a mirror this morning, this is you and me. This is you. This is me. This is us. We are just as helpless as this father, especially if we have teenagers. Jesus wants you to come to him with all of your problems, whatever they are. Is your kid being burned by a demon? Come to Jesus. Is your kid being tossed into a river by a demon? Come to Jesus. Whatever it is that's going on in your life, Jesus wants you to bring it to him. He wants you to come desperate and weak and weary and burdened and stressed out and heavy laden and exhausted. He likes people like that. He really does. What have we seen so many times so far in the Gospel of Mark? Is that Jesus loves desperate people. Jesus loves desperate people. He lives to help desperate people. He lives to have desperate people approach him and ask for help. And what else have we seen so many times in Mark? Neediness is what qualifies us to see Jesus. The, things, the thing that we hate, neediness, weakness, helplessness, that is what gets us in to see Jesus. And that neediness and helplessness should drive us to pray. That neediness and that sense and awareness and understanding and coming to grips with our helplessness should drive us to pray. Look at verse 25. And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by, by anything but prayer. So Jesus moves out in compassion to this man and his son, just like the man requested. And Jesus, full of mercy, casts the demon out of this boy. And, and we get a little glimpse of the resurrection here. Because after the demon leaves, the boy is lifeless. He looks dead. But then Jesus comes and raises him up. I love that Mark tells us that Jesus is the one who took the boy by the hand. He could have told the dad to do it pick your boy up. He could have told the disciples pick the boy up. He's not dead. But Jesus personally got involved. He's that caring. Jesus wants to be involved. What a merciful Savior. And it's true. For you and me, as we go through heartbreaking situations, Jesus isn't healing from afar. He's not rescuing from afar. He comes close, and He's doing that in your life right now with what you're going through. Jesus is there, He's close. He wants to be there, He's full of mercy. He touches. He takes us by the hand. He is moved with compassion when we suffer. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is actually moved with compassion when he sees our hearts breaking. Please don't think Jesus just sits there with a frown on his face, with his arms crossed all the time when you suffer. Please understand, he moves out with compassion, with whatever it is that's tearing your heart apart this morning. But the disciples want to know why they couldn't cast this demon out when they had done it before. So Jesus tells them that it's because they didn't pray, it's because they forgot that they were helpless. Understand this grace prayer is helplessness. That's what prayer is. As Jared Wilson says, prayer is a living parable of faith because it presupposes helplessness. When we pray, we are acknowledging that we do not have the power to accomplish whatever we are bringing before the Lord. Conversely, when we are not praying, it is because we are essentially saying, I've got this one. And that's the issue that Jesus points out to the disciples. After Jesus heals the boy, the disciples ask him later in verses 28 to 29, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So this is not just about demon possession. Jesus is saying something here. Jesus is saying that some things will not happen unless we embrace our helplessness. Some things will not happen unless we embrace our helplessness. Some things will not happen unless we pray. What we need is not simply strategy, not simply ideas. We need prayer, helplessness. Some demons won't come out unless you're helpless. Seems like an oxymoron, right? Some demons will not come out unless you are helpless. Some demons won't leave until you realize that you are weak and then you pray. If these kinds of demons don't come out unless you pray and the disciples couldn't cast it out, and that means that they didn't pray. They didn't ask God to help. They didn't embrace their helplessness. They had cast demons out before. They are like, we got this. We know what we're doing. We know how ministry is supposed to work. We've read all the leadership books. But it didn't work. It wouldn't work. It couldn't work apart from prayer, apart from owning their own total inadequacy. So Jesus is saying that it's possible to attempt to do ministry without him. Let me say that again. Jesus is saying here that it is possible to attempt to do ministry in his name without him. And that's sobering. It's possible to attempt to do things for God's glory, to do things for the extension of his kingdom in this world, and not realize that you never stop to ask Jesus to help. Now, we may think it's crazy that the disciples didn't do this, but we do it too, don't we? Probably more than we realize There is nothing that Jesus would love more than to answer our cries for help. To answer a prayer that says, we can't do this without you. We're desperate. This is for your glory, Jesus. Please help us. If you don't intervene, we will mess it up. We're idiots, Jesus, and we need your wisdom. Jesus loves to answer those kinds of prayers. He sees those kinds of prayers coming his way, and he gets excited. The kind of prayers that we don't like to pray or the kind of prayers that excite Jesus. When an idiot asks Jesus for wisdom, oh, it's time to get down to business. That's when Jesus says, okay, I can work with this right here. Now you are ready. Now we're going to get something done up in here. Jesus is attracted to weakness. Jesus is attracted to your weakness. And so churches can look good on the outside. They can be growing in numbers. They can have financial stability. They can have top-notch staff and pastors and still be failing miserably. Churches can look good on the outside. They can be growing in numbers. They can have financial stability. A lot of money in the bank. They can have top-notch staff and pastors, people who write books, people who have podcasts. They can have uh, sound systems that work better than ours and still be failing miserably. I don't know if that was a demon that caused that. Sometimes I'm a charismatic. Charismatic with a seatbelt, maybe. Even though it all looks good on the outside, church can still be failing miserably. Why? Because they aren't dependent on Jesus. They're relying on man's wisdom and strategies. They're relying on swagger. Listen, when you end up in the hospital or you get that heart-wrenching phone call, if you're at the end of your rope, you don't need swagger. You don't need a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a friend to show up with swagger. You need someone who can connect you to Jesus, connect you to his promises. Swagger and fog machines and laser lights won't do anything for you when your heart is breaking. If you build your model on, we've got to have fog machines, we've got to have laser lights, we've got to have swagger, then you've got to have that stuff in the hospital room call the tech guy, have him bring some lasers, have him bring the fog machine, get the pastor with the swagger, and now Jesus can work in this hospital room. You need a savior in that moment. You need Jesus, the most merciful, compassionate, powerful man in the universe. You need someone to connect you to Jesus again, to remind you of him and how merciful he is to sinners and how he cares for bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, how he is close to the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. So churches that succeed are ones that know they are desperate and they want no success apart from dependence on the Spirit of God. Churches that succeed in God's eyes are ones that know they're desperate and they want no success apart from dependence on the Spirit of God. Listen, we don't want to succeed here at Grace because we have all the strategies And because we've read all the leadership books, we want to succeed here because we are desperately dependent on the Spirit of God. I don't want us to succeed any other way. Just pure, unadulterated need. Just idiots who are dependent on God's wisdom. And who gets the glory in that situation? That's it. We only want success that is birthed out of dependence on the Holy Spirit that's birthed out of prayer. And so that means that whatever ministry that you are a part of, make prayer a priority. In your Sunday school classes, make sure you stop and pray. In your small groups, make sure you stop and pray. In your board meetings, make sure you stop and pray. Make prayer and admitting your helplessness a priority in whatever ministry that you're involved in. And then sit back and watch what Jesus can do. Listen, your elders do this, and they do this well. We spend the first hour of our elder meeting in prayer, looking at scripture, talking about theology, and acknowledging our dependence on God. And then the rest of the meeting just f- smooth sailing. Make time to pray, and then watch what Jesus can do. Be that guy who says, okay, we've heard enough, guys. We've got to stop. We really need to pray. You know, as a part of a this is off, off the, the manuscript. I remember I was a part of this group of pastors that met in Texas, and we would talk and everybody would give their updates, and we'd get to the end of our meeting, and one of my brothers in the Lord would say, "Well, we don't really have time to pray. Somebody closes. All this talk was prayer. Jesus knows. True, Jesus knows. But we needed to shave off a little bit of time at the end to say, "Jesus, we need you. Us talking to one another is not prayer. We need to acknowledge how weak and dependent. We are. Make prayer a priority. Sit back and watch what Jesus can do. Let's get comfortable being dependent like little children. It will be this way every single day until Jesus returns, anyway, right? It's who we are, so we might as well embrace it. It's who we are. And what are the options? What are the options? to try to go it alone like the disciples, to plan, to strategize, to try to pull it off in their own strength and in their own worldly wisdom, or we can embrace who we are as weak, dependent people and just simply ask Jesus to help. Which one of those two ends the way that we want, right? That Jesus is glorified and people are ministered to. So let's just stop and make time to pray and just tell our Father in Heaven what we want, what we need, what we lack. I was doing that this week I just started doing an inventory of my life life and what I lacked and I just started asking Jesus for it just like a little kid just keeps asking their parents for something so this is what I was doing Jesus I like wisdom I'm an idiot please give me wisdom I like patience with my kids please help me to be more patient Jesus I lack love for that person please help me to love them that person really bothers me Jesus and I don't want it to be this way so please help me Prayer is just telling Jesus what you lack. Tell Jesus what you lack, and then sync it up with one of his promises. That's Paul in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer, and then the peace of God comes. That's James in chapter 1. If any of you likes wisdom, let him ask God in faith. Find your lack. Find a promise and connect them. When those two come together, your lack and Jesus' promise, that's when impossible things happen. When you can tell Jesus what you lack and you combine it with the promise, then what you lack comes. That's the dad here in Mark 9. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe in you and your words, Jesus. I believe in your promises, but I lack some faith, so please give me some. That's Christianity. It's the adopted, beloved children of God asking their Heavenly Father for help, asking for patience, asking for love. All you got to do is say, help. You can do that, right? Anybody can ask for help, right? Help. One word, one syllable. All you can do is say, help. What you can do is embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus and ask him to intervene and trust him to work and to move in ways that are far greater than you or I could ever imagine. The kingdom of God, grace, does not work like an equation. It's not a math problem. If we do this, then these are the results that we get. Just because you don't see things happening here at church that you think should be, or just because you may not see the fruit or the results that you're expecting in whatever ministry that you're involved in, it doesn't mean that ministry is not happening. We're dealing with these subversive ways of the kingdom of God. We're we're dealing with the -the behind-the-scenes ways of God here. So don't be discouraged if you think God's not working in whatever ministry that you're involved in. He is. It isn't always tangible. You can't always see it on paper. You can't always plan it. You can't always strategize it. It's organic. It's, it's Mark 4 parable of the seeds kind of stuff here. It's mysterious. Besides, who wants a formula? How boring. Formulas are boring. If we do X, then we get C. That's boring. How about, Jesus, we have a need. And you give good things. And you often do it in wild and crazy ways. So we're asking you to come through for us in wild and crazy ways that will blow our socks off. Please help. And then Jesus not only comes through, but he does it in a way that totally blows our socks off or totally casts the demon out. That's what I want. Listen, God's power is not under our control or direction. God's power comes when we ask for it. The disciples assumed that because they had cast out demons before, then they could just do it on a whim. They thought they had God's power under control. They were banking on a formula. But God's power is not under our control. It won't be governed by our strategies or our core values or our structures. It only comes when we ask for it. It only comes when we ask for it. So embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. And because God gave us his son, Jesus, doesn't that imply that he will give us all things and meet our needs? If he gave us his son and sent him to live for us and to die for us and to rise again for our justification so that we could be declared righteous, so that we could have our sins forgiven, then won't he come through for us on all other matters? if God sent his son Jesus to live and die for us so that all of our sins could be forgiven and forgotten, if God is that giving, won't he give us all that we need? As Paul says in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? if he gave us his son Jesus to remedy our sinful condition, to die in our place for our sins, to cleanse us from all of our sins, how will he not, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? God knows how to give good gifts. And if you're trusting in Christ, he has adopted you, he loves you, He forgives you, he even delights in you and rejoices over you with singing all because he gave his son for you. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. That about sums it up. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge all our weakness here we admit that we lack wisdom that we're sinners that we're idiots that we can really mess things up and we ask you to help us Lord we don't want you to bless us so much that we get dependent on what we have you know we don't want to go without so that we get bitter and anxious we want to be like the psalmist says just have enough And that keeps us, Father, trusting you. That keeps us weak and needy and helpless. And that's where we want to be. Because that's when you come in. And that's when you answer. And then that's when you get the glory and not us. And that's why we're here, Father, to glorify you. Thank you for giving us your son. Help us to remember that because you gave Jesus, along with Jesus, you will graciously give us all things. Help.